Open your Bibles to Joshua 14 as we'll continue our study of the book of Joshua, um, beginning at verse 6. Joshua 14, verse 6. You follow as I read. Uh, from that which we consider to be inspired and fallible and errant, the very mind of God is black words on a white page. Here we go at verse 6, Joshua 14. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years, since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming, for going and coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day, for you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Then Joshua blessed him, and he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and the Kenizzite to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Now the name of Hebron formerly was Kiriath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim, and the land had rest from war. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it endures forever. Guys, um, to best understand the story that's found in Joshua 14 that I just read to you about Caleb, there is a prequel to that story. I think you may know. Uh, there's a there, to, there's something that happened in Numbers 13 and 14 that will help you understand better what I just read to you. I think you know the story. It is um, it's Israel has come out of Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army has been drowned in the Red Sea. They they've moved past Sinai. Um, and now they're on the, the border of the promised land. They're 11 miles away from the promised land. And God comes to Moses and says, send 12 spies into the promised land and bring back a report. And that's what he does. He sends 12 um, spies into the promised land uh, to bring back this report about what they saw. And so when they get back, as you may recall, 10 of those spies bring a bad report. Uh, they say, we can't take that. I mean, my goodness, there's fortified cities. The sons of Anak live over there. The Anakim live inside the problem. We, we, we can't do that. But there were two of the 12 spies that came back with a good report, the minority report. And they said, uh, you know, God helping us, we can do this, let's go. And of course, those two spies that brought the good report were Caleb 
and Joshua. That's the story that's behind the story that's alluded to a couple of times in the Joshua 14 account. Now, guys, um, in your reading, and, and I'm not talking about Bible reading. I'm talking about fiction or nonfiction or even magazines. Have you, have you ever seen the little, um, the, the abbreviation E period, G period? It's, it's, my, it's my sermon title this morning. E period, G period. Have you ever seen that? Uh, you, you know, you know what that abbreviates? It's an, it's a Latin phrase, which means exempli gratia, which translated means, for example, what I'm saying is Joshua 14 contains a big old EG, a big old example, Caleb. Caleb is an example of an, of an adventurous faith, of a virile faith, of a, of a manly faith, of a robust faith. It's, it's the kind of faith that I would like to have but have so very little of. You know, examples offer us things to inspire. They offer us models that we can emulate. But guys, even examples can be dangerous. And so I, I want to explain that as we close later on. But, um, but for a minute or two, for a few minutes, I want to take a look at this, this man, Caleb, and see, um, see if we can't learn some things from, from his example that is recorded for us in Joshua 14. So here we go. Let me, let me start with one that's rather quick and brief because I've said this before. But guys, um, there's no other Bible character that presents us such an inspiring and an and, and optimistic conception of old age as does Josh, as does Caleb. Uh, the man is 85 years old in this story. And, and guys, um, you know, I've said that before. I've pointed you to Caleb before, but I haven't been 63 years old before. And, and so now when I say it, every time I see an 85-year-old man... Um, living with this kind of vitality, first of all, I'm convicted. And, and secondly, I, I am inspired. Guys, if, if we, if we grow into sour, bored, angry, critical people, then the blame is entirely ours. If, um, if I become a, a, a grumpy old curmudgeon, then shame on me. Guys, I, I know it's not fun to bid a fond farewell to your health. I, I understand some of that. But even that can prepare us. It, it can make us long for heaven, which is a good thing. Guys, my, I, I'm, my hope is that you and I are going to wear out before we rust out. If you're bored... It's your fault. Boredom is not an option for God's people. There's a lot to do. Uh, the same God that Caleb followed, we follow. And so maybe even our old age can be influenced by just taking a look at how Caleb did it. Now, the, the other four things that I want to point out, I think are a little bit more substantial than that, and um, I hope more helpful Guys, the second thing I want us to see about Caleb is that his, bio, his biography is condensed into about three sentences. But they're very interesting sentences, and here's the first thing that you learn. Caleb is an outsider. He's a foreigner. 
His father was a name, uh, 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 his father was, his name was Jephuna. He was a Kenizzite. Um, there is no Jephuna in any of the genealogies of, um, of Israel contained in the scriptures because his father was a Kenizzite. Who was that? Well, the Kenizzites were descendants of Esau. They were Edomites. The line of God's promise goes through Jacob, not Esau. And Kenaz was a descendant of Esau's. And Jephuna was a descendant of Kenaz. He was a Kenizzite. So that means that Caleb came from outside the covenant household. Apparently his father was a, was a proselyte who married, which we're told this in first, in first Chronicles two, Jephuna married a daughter of Judah, um, or daughter of her who was out of the tribe of Judah. So Caleb, traces his his family tree back to Esau, not Jacob. Now, guys, that's that's important for a couple of reasons. It's important for the... I mean, when, when Moses got ready to choose 12 spies to go spy out the land, a very responsible task that was entrusted to him, he chose an outsider. He chose a foreigner to go do it. And, and when they came back, as a result of their report... Caleb was a very, he, he was a very unpopular man. And I, I can just hear some of the crowd saying, well, who does he think he is? I mean, who, does, who is he to tell us what to, be, what to be doing, huh? I mean, he's a, he's a foreigner. And, and you would think that being a foreigner would make you a little bit diffident or demure, But the thing that drove Caleb in Numbers 13 and drives him here are the promises that God has committed to his people. It's the promises that emboldens Caleb and makes him say to these people, come on, y'all, we can do this because God has promised that that land is ours. Guys, he's a man whose life is rooted in and founded upon the promises that God has made him, and that is a piece of good counsel. He is willing to endure some daunting circumstances because of promises that God has given him. Anybody here with any daunting circumstances? You know, guys, um, you may have heard of Pilgrim's Progress. Pilgrim's Progress is what I teach in my grace group. And if you've been in my grace group, you remember Pilgrim's Progress. But um, Pilgrim's Progress is an extended metaphor about a man who gets converted and heads to heaven. And the life that's in between those, those, the starting and the finishing points. Christian has just left the city of destruction. And very soon thereafter, he falls into what's called a slew of despond. Remember that? The slough of despond. A slough is kind of a pond that's muddy and sticky, you know, quick sandy. And and Christian has fallen into a slough of despond or dis, 
despondency or depression. And so he kind of flails around in there and, and complains and moans about the situation that he finds himself in. And then somebody comes along. I think it's hopeful. Hopeful comes along and says, there's a way out of that despondency you're in, buddy. He says, right over there, there's some steps. You can get out of that if you just take those steps out of that pit you're in. He goes over there, and sure enough, there's some steps on the side. And the steps are named the promises of God. So how is it, ladies and gentlemen, how is it that we climb out of this despondency that we may find ourselves in from time to time? How is it that we cope with daunting circumstances? Caleb Caleb thought that he was foolish enough to believe that God's promises were more real and more trustworthy than the daunting circumstances in which he found himself. That's pretty impressive, don't you think? A man that's an outsider, but is so gripped by promises that God has made to him that he builds his life and conducts himself based on those promises. Good counsel for the rest of us. Here's the third thing that, that, that really impressed me. Um, and I, I, I hope you, but guys, if you've still got your Bibles, if you can turn over to Numbers and find that real quick, I can't wait on you, but it's in Numbers 13 where this story is told about Kadesh Barnea and the 12 spies. And uh, when, the, when the 12 spies get back, they bro- both bring a report. And the 10 spies, um, you know, it's recorded um, uh, in about verse 28. And the, the, the 10 spies are saying, we can't do it. They're sons of Anak and yada, yada, yada. But then you'll notice in verse 30, the minority report comes, and it says in verse 30, but Caleb quieted the people before, the, before Moses and said, let us go up and occupy it. Now, here's my point. There's only two faithful spies, Caleb and Joshua. But notice who the spokesman is. It's not Joshua. It's Caleb. Turn over a chapter to chapter 14, and when God gets, when God gets ready to say, okay, I'm going to spare the two uh, the faithful spies, he says in verse 24, but my servant Caleb, because he was, has a different spirit, has followed me fully. It's not Joshua he mentions. It's Caleb. Where's Joshua? I don't know. But I, it appears that at this moment in Numbers 13, at this highly charged emotional moment in the, when this report is being brought back, the spokesman, the one out front, the, the, the guy that's really the boldest is Caleb. Now, the point. 40 years later, Moses has died. And who is it that God chooses to be the leader of Israel? It's not Caleb. It's Joshua. But never once do we, do we get this hint of jealousy or resentment or pouting because I got passed over. And perhaps something that's even more remarkable than that, in his approach in, in, in chapter 14, in, in Caleb's approach to Joshua, it is dripping with submission to Joshua. 
a submission that is a derivative of his submission to the Lord God, knowing that God does things well, including the choosing of a new leader. So here, instead of coming to Joshua and saying, well, I love God just as much as you love God. I mean, uh, why didn't you speak up back there at Kadesh Barnea, huh? I mean, I've been serving God as long as you've been serving God. Or, or, or even bullishly demanding his rights to this property, this piece of land. He doesn't do any of that. He comes and he makes, he stakes a claim based on what God promised to him because he knew those promises to be reliable. Um, you know, guys, this, this, this life built on promise stuff, it can really, it can really save you a lot of pain. Instead of letting his emotions like, well, I got passed over. Instead of that, letting that guide him, it is what God has promised to him and what God has said. You know, folks, I don't know about the rest of you, but whenever I see humility, it's beautiful to me. Maybe because I, I have so little of it. But, guys, I, I think this little story gives us a chance to learn the secret of humility. What is it that's going to produce it? Let, let me give you an example. Um, do you remember the story of Saul, the, the first king of Israel? Do you remember that? Saul was the first king. David was the second king. Saul was the th- uh, Solomon was the third king. Saul was the first king. And when Samuel the prophet came to anoint Saul as king... Saul says this. He says, um, am I not a Benjamite from the least of the tribes of Israel? And is not my clan the humblest of all the, the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me like this? And every time I've read that, and I've read it 50 times, I've thought, well, isn't that a humble comment on the part of Saul? And just recently I've decided that's not humble at all. Because if you know anything about the history of Saul, Saul's downfall was because he was very concerned about what other people thought about him. I mean, uh, Samuel, don't leave me, Samuel, because the people will not like it that you're not here. His doom was that he continued to compare himself with other people around him. And that's what he's doing here. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not humility. This is the fear of man. Which brings a snare, by the way, I, I, I think you may recall. Guys, I wonder how many of us have spent weeks pouting and fussing and worried because we got passed by. That's not fair, we said. And we said it for weeks. I've been here longer than she has. Or, or, or fretting. Because... Things are just not working out the way that that I thought they ought to work out. Guys, you know what that is, don't you? That's pride. It's pride because I think I know better how things ought to work, and God just isn't getting them right. You know, guys... I have three delightful, precious daughters. 
Um, I have wonderful relationships with all of my girls because of my wife, but I have wonderful relationships with all three of my girls. But you know what? In my opinion, they're not doing it right. Because they're not doing it the way I think they ought to do it. No, sir, Bobby. And it's not going the way. I mean, they didn't run that stuff past me. And, and, and because they're not doing it the way that I think they're doing, should be doing it, that must mean they're wrong. Ladies and gentlemen, forget my daughters. We treat God like that. Hey, God, you need to pass, you need to run some of that stuff by me. Gang, here, here's what I'm saying. The, the reason that Caleb responds in the way that he responds is not the, the reason that he can maintain such a, such a humility is because of his view of God. That's the secret to humility, ladies and gentlemen. Humility is, is not thinking less of myself. Humility is thinking of myself less. I, 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 it, it grows in a context where I have a God who I believe does all things well. And when I don't think he does them well, then I'm going to fret and pout and fuss because I got passed over and then, you know, because this isn't fair and, and I don't like my circumstances and then this isn't right and on and on and on it goes. The, the thing that's so beautiful about the man, I know what God's promises are. I come meekly, I come humbly, I come submissively, and I simply stake claim to what God has promised me. You know, guys, uh, do you find submitting to authority difficult? You know what it is, don't you? Mm, sorry, again, it's pride. And, and all of that pride stems from your view of God. If you got a big God, then you can relax. Caleb comes and makes his request based on the promises of God to him. And then he rests. It's, um, it's beautiful. Here's the fourth thing I want you to say about the man. Uh, another beauty, at least in my opinion. It really is contained in verses 10 and 11. It's his view of life. It's his philosophy about life. He says in verse 10, And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old, and I am still as strong today as I was in the day of Moses sent me. He comes to Joshua and he says, It's because of my proper diet that, that, I'm, in, that I'm still alive. That's not what he says. It's, um, it's, it's because of my fine conditioning program that I'm as healthy as I am. He doesn't say that either. I got good genes. Just a stroke of good luck, but I'm just, you know, I'm, uh, I'm healthy as an ox because of my good genes. He doesn't say that either. What he says is, the Lord, the Lord has kept me alive. And the Lord has kept me healthy for these 45 years. What a, what a, what a, 
What a view of life. Caleb understands that everything that he has is something that God gave him. Guys, that's the way that faith looks at things. Faith is always looking at the past and seeing God's goodness there and then dragging that into the present so that I can help me interpret my present circumstances. You know, have you ever, I hope you've never said this, I hope you've never thought it, but have you ever thought I'm a self-made man? I don't know whether that's more laughable than it is ludicrous or ludicrous than it is laughable. I want to read you a quote. I don't do this much, but this is from Os Guinness. If you know the name Os Guinness, we like Os Guinness around here, but this is what he said. Just a sentence. Rebellion against God doesn't begin with a clenched fist of atheism. But with the self-satisfied heart of one for whom thank you is redundant. Now, do you know what the word redundant means? It just means unnecessary. Now, could I read it again and hopefully it'll make more sense? Oskinus says, and I quote, Rebellion against God doesn't begin with the clenched fist of atheism. It begins with the self-satisfied heart of one for whom thank you is unnecessary. I mean, why do I need to thank anybody? I mean, I am where I am because I did what I did. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in such good shape because, uh, because of what I've been doing. You know, listen, gentlemen, Paul has a statement about that in Romans 1, and, and it, I think it's, it's verse 21. And he says, he's describing the pagan mind, and, and he says, they refuse to give thanks. Why would I give thanks? Why would I? That's redundant. It's unnecessary. Why? Who do I thank? I'm the one that's the self-made man. Rebellion against God doesn't begin with a clenched fist of atheism. It, it begins with a self-satisfied heart. For whom thank you is redundant. Hey guys, did you have a good night's sleep last night? That was a gift. That that fairly reasonable, clear mind that you've got. That's a gift. That, uh, that digestive system of yours that works pretty good? That's a gift. It all comes to us by way of gift. My God has kept me alive these 45 years. Yes, he has. Here's the, the, the fifth thing, the final thing I want you to see about Caleb. Three times in this passage that I read you, it's stated in that passage that God's blessing on Caleb was the result of Caleb's following the Lord fully. Now, that following the Lord started way back in Numbers 13. 
But Caleb is not done at age 85. This whole scene here struck me like this, and I think I'm right. Um, it's as if Caleb comes to Joshua and he says, um, Joshua, do you remember those, uh, those sneers uh, that you and I heard the day that the other ten spies brought back the bad report back in Kedish? You remember that? Um, do you remember all that whimpering about and complaining and about how large those Anakim were and how fortified cities and all those large swaggering people there in the promise? Remember, remember all that? And, and, and you remember that all they could say for days was, we can't do this, we can't do this. Well, Joshua, that's exactly why I want this piece of land. Because there are fortified cities in there and the Anakim still live there. And if God sees fit, I want to go in there and clean them out. Because Joshua, I want the whole world to know that there ain't an Anakim in the world. It's any match for the God that you and I believe in. Guys, that's not because... Caleb was an optimist and everybody else was a realist. It was because Caleb was a believer. And the rest of them refused to believe. And by the way, of all the Israelites who received their inheritance in the promised land, apparently Caleb is the only one who succeeded in entirely Eliminating the the enemies, the, his enemies from his inheritance. The rest of the Israel just lived with thorns in their flesh. <clears throat> the man who um, who fully followed God, wholly followed God, is the one who was wholly victorious in the fight against his enemies. Caleb didn't flinch, and Caleb won. Quite an example, don't you think? Now, guys, if I were to stop there and say, all right, ladies and gentlemen, let's all stand and go home and let's, let's be like Caleb, then that would be to miss the point. There are, granted, things about Caleb that, that all of us ought to desire because they're beautiful. Humility, for instance. But if a human hero is as high as you get, a Churchill, a Lincoln, Keith Urban, if that's as high as I get, then you have settled for far too little, ladies and gentlemen. Because the hero to which all the other heroes can only faintly point the hero of all the stories is Jesus Christ. The hero of every story in this book and the stories outside this book. The, the, the Prince Charming. The, it points to the hero. The, the, uh, the, the knight in the shining armor points to this hero. Because, 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 ladies and gentlemen, no other hero can forgive my sin. Lincoln can't forgive my sin. He can't inspire me from the inside out. 
He can't change my, he can't rewire my hard drive and give me a whole new set of affections and emotions. I need mercy. I need forgiveness. I need reconciliation. There's only one hero that can give that to me. Hey guys, do you remember the the movie several years ago, maybe seven or eight years ago? um, It was filmed in Memphis. Uh, It was about a FedEx pilot. Um, uh, Tom Hanks played the part of the FedEx pilot and and, um, he crashed and he was marooned on this island for four years called Castaway. And he was going a little crazy. I'll try to kill himself at one point, or started to kill himself at one point. Uh, but while he was on the island, um, a, uh, a volleyball washed up on the shore. You remember that? And it was a Wilson volleyball made by Wilson. And so he called the volleyball Wilson. And he began to talk to Wilson. And, and um, he slept with Wilson. And he, and he argued with Wilson. And Wilson became his imaginary uh, friend and... Uh, you know, you, you can hardly blame him if, if that's all he's got. If that's all you got. But ladies and gentlemen, you've heard about Jesus Christ. You've heard about this one who is altogether lovely. You've heard about this one who, who nobody could accuse of sinning. You've heard about this one who, who resurrected from the dead. That's the one that changed Caleb's life. That's the one who's changed many of our lives. And that's the one. That's the one who will change your life. Or you can stick with your volleyball. Our Father, I I pray that you remind us that graces such as we see in Caleb are just that. They are gifts that a good God grants to a man who seriously is engaged in chasing after you. Would you, would you grant us grace as well, O oh God? This, this notion that we're self-made, this notion that we're in control, all of these are just making making our souls sick. And I pray, O God, that you'll grant a greater sense that it is you who have made us promises upon which we can build our lives, and it is you who has kept us alive for these these years. Lord, if you brought people here who have not yet met Jesus Christ, If you brought people here who are still outside the kingdom, would you cause them to see that ultimately what they're holding on to is nothing more valuable than a volleyball? That it can't and won't help them in an eternity. And then draw them, cause them to see the great beauty of this one who is the hero of every story. Christ Jesus, we pray, of course, in his name. Amen.